you make money when you when you buy, but you lose it through bad management. <laughs> so if you don't have good prop, and that comes down to not just property management, that comes down to construction management, comes down to asset management. And so that is really, really important when you're looking for property managers to really understand what type of pool do they have in the local market to attracting good talent. And that good talent will help you be successful. So then that's why we have to make the shift to a bigger property property management company because they could attract the right talent and they could put the best teams on my assets because you know if you have to turn over a property manager it can hurt the assets so all those things combined are some stuff that I've really really uh, you know learned along the way and that is you know you make money when you buy but you lose it through bad management along the way welcome to how to buy giant apartment buildings the number one show about growing your family's wealth with apartment building investments now Here's your host, Mark Allen Kenny. Hey, everybody. Welcome to How to Buy Giant Apartment Buildings. I'm Mark Allen Kenny. Our guest today is Reed Goosens. How are you doing today, Reed? G'day, Mark. Thanks for having me, mate. Awesome. Thank you for being here. Reed is a real estate entrepreneur and managing partner of Wildhorn Capital. As a native Australian, Reed moved to the U.S. to pursue his investing career in early 2012. Today, Wildhorn Capital has a portfolio of over 1,800 units and a value of over $220 million. Reed is also a best-selling author and host of the very popular real estate podcast, Investing in the U.S. Reed, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Could you tell the listeners a little bit more about your background and how you got started in real estate? Yeah, I think I feel like I've said this story over a million times, but yeah, originally from <laughs> Australia, my, my, my deep Southern accent, as I like to say, and I, I moved to the United States back in 2012, really to pursue just I wanted to live in the US. I wanted to live in New York City, actually. And I, I came here as a structural engineer. I didn't have a job when I rocked up. I couldn't get a job, obviously, from Australia. So I just said, screw it. I'm quitting my job in Aussie. And I moved halfway across the world. I was also chasing a girl at the time. And that girl turned into my wife. So that's, you know, happy, happy endings. <laughs> and um, yeah, really, really just the whole impetus of coming to the United States initially was just to, I really loved when I backpacked through New York back in 2009, I was like, I've got to live in this city at some point in my life. And then in 2012 came around and I was like, let's do it. So moved to the moved to the US, really had no plans, but just to come here for a couple of years, be an expat and then move home you know, back to Australia. But, but as I say, the rest is history. I started investing within six months of moving to the United States and really just sort of kept pushing the boundary. And that's the whole thing of, you know, I, I, don't, I never wanted to wake up 60, 70 years time with the fear of regret. So the, the move to, to the United States was such a big move in itself. It was really pushing the boundary. Everything else that, that's happened since then has really just been sort of, I don't want to say baby steps, but it's been a lot easier because you've already done that hard bit of transplanting yourself halfway across the world. Sure, sure. That's awesome. So once you decided to go forward and, and get into real estate investing, what did the, the first couple of deals look like for you? Small deals, mate, like really small deals. And to be honest, a lot of Americans don't realize how the barriers to the entry to the U.S. investing market is exactly really low, you know, compared to where I'm from in Australia. And when I say low, obviously, if you're living in Texas, Austin, Texas, or you know, San Francisco, or New York, or LA, you might think, "Geez, it's hard to break into those markets." But there's these secondary tertiary markets that thirty thousand dollars. I bought my first triplex for thirty-eight thousand bucks in upstate New York in Syracuse. So for me, it was like, "Wow, this thirty-eight thousand dollars this exists!" Like I, you couldn't buy anything for thirty-eight thousand dollars in Australia, let alone a triplex. So 
I obviously learned very quickly about Section 8 housing and, and investing in second class D neighbourhoods, but I still got started. And it was just the thing for me, it was, it was getting that first deal done because the first deal would lead to deal number t- you know, two, number three, and all of a sudden you'll get to deal number 10 and you'll keep going. So for me, moving to the United States, part of my superpower, as I, I pertinent, not to boast, but is my perspective in coming from another country and coming to the United States, sometimes the average American may not see what's really in their backyard or the opportunities that might exist around them. And it takes someone like myself to sort of remind them and ding them on the head a few times and say, hey, look, you've got to go and, and take action first and foremost, but also surround yourself and, and know that there are incredible opportunities if, if you just go scratching and, and digging for them. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So can you kind of walk us through that transition from when you were first starting and you, and you did that that first triplex and you're doing do, smaller deals on your own and then somehow you got to eight, 1,800 units and over 200 million in, in assets. What was that first syndication? How did you structure that? And how did you kind of make that transition into much larger projects? Yeah, so the first, the re, it was a slow transition, right? It was, uh, I bought my first property in upstate New York. That, that property got me a little, uh, little duplex and I started and I got a third property and then it sort of slowly grew, but then I got to a point where I, I knew that I was getting to the end of my tether. Um, I was, you know, I was doing it by myself. I, no one was lending to me because I was uh, I was fresh off the boat still, within sort of you know being two years with you know I, no one. I didn't have enough credit yet. So, but that at that time I really realized that I was learning some pretty powerful stuff, and I started to say like I want to take my investing career to the next level. And it was through a few really strategic conversations with some very good friend, a good very good friend of mine who came down from Canada. And he was telling me about his, you know, I was sort of boasting to him, you know, hey, man, look, I've got all these little properties in upstate New York. And he sort of said to me, oh, that's fantastic, Reed. I just closed on a 70-unit deal. And I said, 7-0? He's like, yeah, 70. And I was like, how the hell did you do that? And that's where he sort of explained to me, you know, other people's money, which I already knew about, but like I hadn't actually done anything with it, a mentor about getting seller caravac financing and all these things I was learning along the way. But he actually had gone out and done it. And so I was like, wow, if he can do it, why can't I do it? And the thing there was mentor. And so going out, and I'd put off for the longest period of time, Mark, I was, you know, before we moved to the United States, I was educating myself in Australia. And then when I moved here, I was continuing to educate myself. So it was you know, three or four years of just education, education. And I had done a few deals, very small ones, but I hadn't actually got the mentor at that point. And then that was then, that was really, that conversation was the breaking point in terms of going out and saying, hey, if I'm going to take myself seriously here, I need to bet on myself and I need to take that to the next level. And that's where I needed someone in my corner. And I had to pay for it, obviously. But that there was able to, getting that mentor helped me say, I'm worth it and I can bet on myself. And that person I aspire to be and that person helped lay the foundations to go off and do syndication deals. And I started co-syndicating with him. I actually introduced him to his business partner and then from there, I did a few co-syndications, worked on raising capital over a couple of years, and then started looking at my own deals and started you know, breaking out and, and obviously we formed Blackhorn Capital. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. I love that. So as far as the mentorship, you know, I'm a big believer in mentorship. I'm, I'm curious for you, did that mentor, obviously they're, they're helping you get deals done on, on the tactical side and you're learning about structuring them and raising money and those things. But how much would you accredit to the tactical education of actually going out there and doing deals? And how much uh, would you say was that shift in mindset that came from that mentor? Well, it's actually interesting. That mentor had only done one deal when I first met him. So he hadn't, done, he hadn't had a ton of experience. And, but it was more to do with the, the money. I, I think I'd spent two and a half or three grand. It was something pretty nominal at the time. 
But it was, again, that having that sounding board, that was the most important thing. Having a weekly check-in or you know, monthly check-in with this person to keep me accountable, and that helped push the needle. And through that, I was able to introduce him through some other friends of mine to my actual first syndication deal that I helped raise money on. They've gone off and started a successful real estate company called Ashcroft Capital. And it, it, it was more like he was at his early stage in his career, but he'd done a deal. So it was like enough to get me going. And it, it was more, more to do with the I read Goosens can invest in myself because up until that point, it was like, no, I'm going to do it all on my own. I can do it. I've got it. Don't worry about it. And it was that, that real investing in, in, in someone to be a sounding board and, and taking the bet again to, to bet on yourself. And that, I think that was the biggest mind shift change to say, I can do this and I'm going to part way with X amount of money and I'm willing to do that. So, you know, at the time, two and a half, three grand was a lot of money. So, you know, it's not, it wasn't a small chunk of change. And, you know, for me, it was like, just again, putting my big boy pants on and saying, I have to go do this because I can't, I can't keep flailing around not doing it. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah, that's awesome. So walk me through how you kind of launched Wildhorn Capital. I mean, we, we've had Andrew, your partner, Andrew Campbell on the show before, who's an awesome guest. How did that come to be? Did you did you meet him just in the industry and decided to start it together? Or how did you get you two kind of form the company? Coincidentally, he actually had the same mentor, but I'd already finished working with that mentor at the time. And he'd gone on to a couple of years later. And I was looking at deals down here in Texas. And, and we actually met at this mentor's conference through a friend of a friend. And I was looking for someone who was boots on the ground here in Austin because I was looking at deals in San Antonio and I was just not being competitive enough. I was actually, no, I was actually looking at deals in Dallas. That's right. I was looking at smaller deals in Dallas, like 50 or 60 unit deals. I was getting the best in final, but I wasn't actually winning you know, the race because I just didn't have those broker relationships. And so I needed someone who had a complementary skill set to me. And that really was Andrew. And so, you know, I had a complementary skill set to him. He wasn't he wasn't very much in the weeds. He, he came from marketing. I came from construction management, ground up construction. I came from the real institutional side of building projects. I'd, I'd worked for the past five years with the developer in Los Angeles. So I knew the, the institutional grade of how to get these deals done. And he, but he had, a, again, a skill set that was really powerful because I, I wasn't local. So overall, that was really the start of it. And for anyone else out there looking to start a partnership, you really got to look at those skill sets that you're good at and then find someone who can fit your yin to your yang, right? And, and can be complementary because without that, you don't want to be doing double work. You know what I mean? So Right, right. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and it seems like Andrew gravitated more towards the marketing and investor relations where you, you kind of, from my understanding, are, are more kind of the asset management side and, and the financials and underwriting and stuff. Is that is that right? Yeah, management, everything to do with management, construction management, uh, implementing systems. You know, I raise my own capital as well, and but, but really focusing more on the day-to-day getting it. Once you close on the deal, the hard work starts, right? That's right. where you got to go and actually do the work. So um, getting it to the closing table is fantastic, but you've got to then go and make sure it's successful for investors. And, and it's really up until this point, it's just been Andrew and I, and we just brought in a couple extra people now and we've been able to scale it. But that's, you know, he's been focused on one side of the coin and I've been focused on the other. Yeah, awesome. So after all the deals that you guys have done, and I know you've, you're managing a lot of different units and assets at this point, do you have any kind of advice for on the operations side after closing? What's kind of one or two things that you've learned along the way that you can kind of pass on for other operators? You make money when you, when you buy, but you lose it through bad management. <laughs> mm. So if you don't have good, pro- and that comes down to not just property management, that comes down to construction management, comes down to asset management. 
if you have poor management just in general, let's start with the property management. If you have a poor property manager butt in the seat who doesn't know how to you know, maybe you know, undertake a, a massive value-add program that, that we typically go do, that can be detrimental to your growth and getting out of the starting blocks. And if you get out of the starting blocks slow, it's very hard to catch up, particularly if you're trying to you know, meet your performer. So we really, really conscious of who you choose as a property management company. We've had to change property management companies in our evolution. And the reason for that is really we, you know, the, the old, I, I sort of coined the term of we were driving around in a 1990 Toyota Datsun or Honda Datsun, whatever it is. It was getting me from point A to point B. It was doing just fine. But we needed the, the, the brand new BMW with seat warmers. You know, we needed that back end. We needed, we needed a company that could attract good talent. And that good talent would be able to put good bums and seats out of my assets in order to make them be successful. And so that is really, really important when you're looking for property managers to really understand what type of pool do they have in the local market to attracting good talent. And that good talent will help you be successful. And so the smaller property shops, which we started with, they're great to get started with, but they didn't have the back-end systems that we needed or the reporting or the financial piece or this, you know, the, the, the accounting piece that we needed. But also they couldn't necessarily maybe attract the right type of talent. So then that's why we have to make the shift to a bigger property, property management company because they could attract the right talent and they could put the best teams on my assets. Because you know, if you have to turn over a property manager, it can hurt the assets. So all those things combined are, are some stuff that I've really, really uh, you know, learned along the way. And that is, you know, you make money when you buy, but you lose it through bad management along the way. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I love that. That's great advice. So I, w- I wanted to talk a little bit about your book. So could you just t- kind of walk the listeners through what, what the book's about? What, what made you want to write it in the first place? And, you know, what, what people can expect when they read your book? Yeah, I've actually got two books. But the first, talk about the first one. Uh, the first one is, is called Investing in the U.S., The Ultimate Guide to U.S. Real Estate. And that's really an adaptation of my podcast into book form with my story interwoven between the chapters. And really, each chapter is a step-by-step guide, you know, all the way through how I first started, like learning the investing lingo, to understanding the closing process, to, you know, anyone who just doesn't know anything about understanding real estate. It doesn't have to be international. It can just be a local person. It was a, I had to go through those learning processes when I first moved to the United States because it's a diff, completely different lingo here compared to where I was used to in Australia. So it lays out everything in terms of very easy-to-follow guide. And I've got, and what I did was I t- actually turned all the best podcast episodes for that particular for each topic into a book form. So I was taking a different medium, turning it into, uh, into different content, and then being able to produce a book from that. And that's been really, really powerful. And, and that's you know, why, why I love podcasting. Uh, so that's the first one. It's called Investing in the U.S. Ultimate Guide to U.S. Real Estate. The second one is called 10,000 Miles to the American Dream, uh, Our Story of Financial Freedom. And that came out about a year ago. And that's a collection of I actually started a mastermind group with uh, seven other Aussies. We're all Australians. We've all moved across the ditch and we've, we've, made, we've, we've been successful in real estate investing. And we started out with just a monthly mastermind, you know, chatting, talking Aussie lingo, talking shop, all that sort of stuff. But then over time, we slowly said, hey, we've got, we've got a real powerful message here. And we all had been successful in different industries in the real estate world uh, here in the United States. So we went off and created a book. And it was sort of just, again, the power of, of the group. Everyone had a chapter and their different perspectives on what makes investing here in the United States the best in, in the Western world for commercial real estate and cash flow. So that's the second book, 10,000 Miles the American Dream, and that came out last year. So two books, and, and, and the reason we do it is to help educate people about the benefits of what we do and, and, and really just continue you know, sharing our message. And, and, and if, what, if we can do it, you know, so can the average American. 
Yeah. Awesome. Could you speak to that a little bit? Why why the U.S. is such a great market and why you like investing here so much? Yeah. What, what, so when I break it down into Australia versus America, so we've got to look at a couple of things. It, one is population. So population, you guys have, I think, over 10 times the amount of people in the same land mass, give or take, as mainland America. So mainland Australia and mainland America, excluding Alaska, are roughly the same shape, maybe give or take 10 or 15%. Mm-hmm. But you guys have 300-ish million people. We only have 25 million people and we can only inhabit around the coast because it's a desert, right? So when you have 300 million people and you have individual states that have come together, it's called the United States. It's like a little mini Europe. Each state is like its own country. You have obviously the, the primary markets, you know, the, the New Yorks, the San Francisco's, the Los Angeles. And then you have the secondary and tertiary markets where in Australia, we really just have primary markets. We don't have these secondary markets as much because we don't have as large a population, right? So when you have, don't have a bigger population, the financing arm also to that piece is also a little bit more challenging. So where you guys have Freddie and Fannie, you have these incredible commercial non-recourse interest-only loans for 30 years at very low interest rate. We don't even have the institutional grade debt like that in Australia. And so multifamily, as you think about it here in terms of garden-style apartments, doesn't exist in Australia. It actually, it, we, we build apartments to sell. So it's all condominium market. And you don't go and buy a 1980s garden-style apartment, you know, 200 or 200 units on a 20 acres or whatever. That just doesn't exist. And it just purely comes down to population, the different vehicles of financing that are available, and the fact that we are more of a condominium market, a a build to sell rather than a build to rent. I think it will change eventually, but overall, they're some of the major differential factors into determining why I like the United States from a cash flow point of view in commercial assets. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And then as far as your your strategy at Wildhorn, is there a typical, I know that you guys are in a couple markets at this point, is there a typical kind of uh, unit count and, and asset class that you guys are uh, modeling after or what what's kind of the strategy? Yeah, we typically go for you know anything over 150 units built in the 80s, 90s, and now 2000s. And we look for the value add. We really try to look for things that we can push the needle on in terms of rent, in terms of efficiency of operation, uh, in terms of rebrand, and really try and make the asset sing as, as, as best as it can do. And, and you know, it's, it's obviously getting harder in this, this, this time to try and find good assets, but we've been continuing to be successful. We've obviously built our company on syndication, which is, you know, raising money from private investors. But as we slowly, we'll continue to do that, that arm of, of financing, but we'll also look at maybe some private equity deals as we grow. So really, that's, in general, we look for that value-add class B, A-minus assets in markets that are really growing. And we love Austin, Texas because of the population growth and you know the X factor. So overall, we're really investing in, in cities that invest in themselves in order to you know, follow the jobs, follow the growth. And then if you have existing assets, you know, you're just going to do just fine over the long term. Yeah. And then is there a typical kind of returns that you like to see for your investors as far as IRR and, and cash on cash and things like that? Yeah, we typically like to see, uh, you know, anywhere in the, the low to mid teens as, as deals get harder to pencil. And we're definitely like somewhere like Austin versus San Antonio. Austin is has lower returns because of the demand of investors here, you know. And so when, when returns are lower, the risk is lower compared to, say, San Antonio, where the returns are slightly higher. But it's all risk-adjusted returns. So, we, again, low teens to mid-teens, we try to look to double investors' money in, in seven years. And that's the sort of goal. 
and really try and provide a bit of cash flow along the way. But that's, that's really our main thesis. It's that time in the show for a segment called Best Deal, Worst Deal, where we talk about real estate transactions that you've done in the past so that others can learn from your knowledge and expertise. So Reed, with that said, what's the best real estate deal that you've done? My first deal. It has to be. It, it, not that it, it made me any money. I actually had a drive-by shooting at my first deal. It taught me. It, it taught me so much about what not to do. I didn't lose any money. It was my own money, but it got me off the starting block. And that's the most important thing to do. Is got you. you all those people listening out there, you have to get off the starting blocks because you don't get to deal number ten without doing deal number one. And it will just once you do that first deal, you prove yourself that. I can do this and I can do deal number two, and deal number three, and it become easier and easier as, as the, the snowball rolls down the hill. Yeah, that's awesome. And when you say first deal, do you do you mean that first duplex or triplex or do you mean yes. the first syndication? Okay. Oh, so I mean, the, 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 the I, I the literally mean literally the very first deal because awesome. it just proved to myself that I could do it, right? And yeah. that, was the, that was the most powerful thing. Yeah, for sure. And what would you say is the worst deal? Worst deal would have to be, I did a flip in Philadelphia. I, it was a row house. We put a second, put a third story on a two-story row house and I ended up losing a little bit of money. I was actually, the first time I brought um, some friends and family involved is actually I brought my dad on board to be a bit of an investor. But I had to dip into my own pocket to make, you know, make him whole and then give him a return on his money because I promised him a return. But again, we learned things along the way. It wasn't, I didn't lose a shirt on my back. I did lose a little bit of money personally, but I made sure my investor was made whole and he got his a good a solid return um, that I promised him even when things went well went, went wrong. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. was that was probably the, the worst deal to date, knock on wood. So yeah, awesome. And what did you learn from that deal? Is it kind of uh, I guess what, what what's the number one lesson that you learned from from that project? I think you know look the number one lesson is that you've got to be as a syndicator. You know, and this was early on. This was the first deal, a little deal I raised. You know, I think my dad shipped in fifty thousand bucks. It wasn't a lot of money, but it was enough to be take care and be a producer, have a fiduciary responsibility for this person's money. I think the lesson learned is, regardless of th- when if things go wrong, you have to be willing to either one not take a profit at all and make sure your investors are made whole, or two come out of your own pocket to make sure that your investors are not only made whole but get a good return, and they will thank you time and time again for doing that, even if you don't make a, a, a dime or you actually lose money. So if you are going to take on other people's money, you have to be prepared to dip into your own pocket if things go wrong. And trust me, things will go wrong. It's not all roses and blue skies. You know, things do go, do, do go wrong, but as a bad management, um, might have bought a bit of a bad deal, there might have been, you know, COVID might have hit, whatever it might happen, things tend to go wrong or can go wrong. And you just got to be prepared to make those hard decisions and come out of pocket if, if any truly something really bad does happen and, and, and you, um, you, need to, you need to come out of pocket yourself. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, we're getting a little bit short on time here, Reed, but could you just walk us through if, if a passive investor is interested in learning more and, and possibly you know looking at your deal flow and investing with you guys for the first time, what's the best way for them to get started and kind of what, what can they expect when they work with you? So where you can sort of contact me at is you can just hit me up at info, that's info at reedgoosens.com. When they can, in terms of expectations, we get on our mailing list. We don't ever email them anything. You know, we don't do spam mail, but we'll, you'll only hear from us if you're interested in a deal. If we think you're interested in a deal, we first got to get to know you. So we've got to understand are you a accredited investor or not. We only take on accredited investors. We've got to understand what your investment thesis is and your investment horizon. And then from there, we'll put you into a certain mailing category. 
And from there, if we get a deal that may meet your different criteria, you'll get a notification saying, hey, are you interested in learning more about a deal? Then you can respond saying, yes, we'll send you the investment summary or investor data pack. And then we'll have a webinar, an onboarding process. And if people need to review legal documents, they can do so at that time. And then we ask people to, to sign and go onto our online secure portal, log in, sign the documents, and then fund, fund the, uh, the transaction. And that's, you know, we have a, probably a seven or eight step process before getting to, you know, before not knowing me to getting all the way through to knowing an investor and having them invested in the deal. And, that's, and we've got to do that from a, just, again, a fiduciary responsibility uh, and getting to know our investors on, on each and every deal. Sure, sure. Awesome. And if someone's interested in connecting with you personally or learning more about what you're up to or, or maybe even buying your books, where's the best place for them to go? Yeah, you can just head over to reedgoosens.com. That's R-E-E-D-G-O-O-S-S-E-N-S.com. And um, again, it, you can use that info at reedgoosens.com. If anyone's coming through Los Angeles and they want to hit me up and go for a beer or go for a coffee and just talk shop, again, just info at reedgoosens.com. Just give me a bit of a heads up and uh, let me know when you come through town. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that, Reed, and thank you for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you, mate. Hey, everybody. It's Mark Allen Kenny. If you're interested in apartment building investments, schedule a call with me so we can have a chance to chat. My company is focused on growing your family's wealth with apartment building investments. So let's hop on a quick call and talk about your investment goals and see if we're a good fit. Find out more at StellarInvestmentGroup.com.